So AI, biotech and digital are combining in all kinds of interesting ways right at this moment. But looking back, was there a moment in your own background that really drew you to this space? You know, it happened somewhat from kind of accident, I guess I would say, you know, I, I actually have a PhD in information physics, which is closely related to data science. So I don't know that the term was actually used uh, at that time. Um, but it was really around foundational of Bayesian statistics, how you use that to infer knowledge about systems and problems. Um, and after I finished grad school, I was just, you know, I, I realized academia wasn't for me, you know, I, I'm more of an entrepreneurial person. I wanted to have some real world impact, much more tangible than that. Um, and so I just ended up working at a consulting firm, doing work at pharmas, and it turned out to be this, you know, really perfect blend of my science background, my computational background, my data science expertise, um, to help researchers solve problems. And I just, you know, fell in love with it and, uh, you know, ravenously learned everything I can about biotech. Uh, you know what I love is that whenever you find someone doing something interesting, if you look back far enough, you'll find Thomas Bayes. <laughs> sure enough, uh, Claude, Claude Shannon is in there somewhere as well. Right? <laughs> I'm speaking today with Dave Johnson, who's the Chief Data and AI Officer at Moderna. Uh, so tell me, Dave, uh, when you first joined Moderna, was there always this vision that AI and automation would play such a key role in the organization? For sure, automation was. I think AI, at least in the terminology, came a little bit later, but it was always kind of an ethos. We as a company always viewed digital and technology and automation as key to moving with unprecedented speed and scale as a company. Um, our CEO likes to say that, you know, when we started the company, this is either, you know, a flop or it's going to be, you know, the largest biotech company in history because mRNA itself is a digital medicine. And if you can get it to work for one thing, you can get it to work for an entire platform. So we built with this assumption that if this works, we need to be ready at scale. And, and I guess to that extent, uh, you know, what, what I guess shocked the world was the speed and scale with, with which you were able to bring a COVID-19 vaccine to market. Uh, uh, what was it that allowed you to do this? Uh, and, and I guess, what was it about the way you designed your platform that enabled you to do this so effectively and so quickly? Absolutely. You know, I, I tell people this and they don't believe me, but in some ways it was kind of unremarkable for us, right? We had been, it's like a marathon who's been training for years and years and like, here's our opportunity to demonstrate it. We had been preparing for essentially just really rapid research um, and development. So get something out of an idea and preclinicals to the clinic as, as quickly as possible. And we've demonstrated this before with Zika, with other candidates prior to COVID. Uh, and what we had done is essentially say, again, like we, we want to be this platform company. We see mRNA as the future. Um, and so the only way you can do that at scale is to build automation in place and build scale. So we had constructed this large scale preclinicals manufacturing suite that allowed our scientists to order mRNA through online digital tools, to use AI algorithms to help optimize those, feed those into a high throughput, massively parallel highly automated small-scale manufacturing facility to produce these so that we have them, you know, as quickly as possible to run, you know, in vivo studies. And then we had also built capability, um, in our manufacturing suit as well around our personalized cancer technology due to rapid scale GMP manufacturing. And so these technologies existed already to solve problems that we had had for this platform. 
And when the, the challenge of COVID came along, we took that sequence and we put it through this engine we had built. And then we turned the crank as fast as we could, took the slack out of the system. And that's how we were able to get from, you know, sequence release to in the clinic, uh, uh, clinic shipment in just 42 days, which is truly impressive. Uh, you know, to that end, companies often invest in what they think are their competencies rather than building for future capabilities, uh, the things uh, that they may need at some point. Uh, what you're describing is really the problem we're trying to solve was getting that AI engine and platform to work rather than a point solution for a specific uh, therapeutic. Uh, was this, what really drove this strategy? Was it, was it really about risk? It wasn't about risk in the same sense. It was about scale, right? Like I said, mRNA is a digital product. It's a digital medicine. If we can get it to work for one indication, we can change the code that we put into that and apply it to something else. And so it would be really illogical to prioritize one particular program over anything else. And, and we as a company think this platform mindset and we prioritize the platform over everything else that we can, um, just for this reason. So, so let's talk a little bit about the platform because this is a fundamentally different logic um, for drug development than traditional big pharmaceutical companies. So was there um, an, an expectation uh, that, you know, from every aspect of the way you design this platform, it would need to be in the cloud, digital, highly automated, driven by data? Uh, was, was, were you essentially cribbing from, from tech companies in, in the way you, you approach this there? Absolutely. In, in terms of, you know, we're, we're a young new company. And so we had the opportunity that others don't to kind of start fresh and do that. Yeah. Um, but we're also not using tech from 10 years ago. You know, we as a company are really obsessed about learning and in some dimensions, we have a higher risk profile because we know we don't know everything in the world or, you know, we, we just think we can learn faster than everybody else because of that kind of corporate mentality we have about learning. Um, and so we continuously evolving what we do on the science and on the technology front as well. So at the time, you know, we, we started with Amazon, we started with web-based services and we have evolved those for the, the 10 years. And we continuously push to reinvent ourselves and how we deliver technology. How, how is it, how are this, how is this different to the way than a traditional pharmaceutical company designs their digital infrastructure typically? Well, you know, one of the phrases I hear, because I've spent some time in large firm companies is just the statement, we are not a tech company. This is not our core competency. This isn't what we do. And so they lean on a lot of external companies to, to leverage technology, to leverage their expertise. We're trying to do things differently and say, well, what if it was our, our core company competency? What if we believe that tech really is critical and integral to what we do? That makes us think very differently about how we resource that and how we think about that and how we evolve it. We don't think of these things as kind of a one and done, right? Like a capital asset, like I bought a system, I'm going to put it here, depreciate over five years and, you know, replace it when it's done. We think of these things as products that are supporting the business and they co-evolve as the business evolves. So can you describe it in a little bit more detail about how the platform works, the different um, modalities and toolkits and, and cause I, I know it, even at the time when you launched the COVID-9 vaccine, you actually had a number of other candidates that were for, for completely different therapeutics that were running through the platform. There's elements of the platform that are completely shared, right? The way in which we kind of optimize sequences, the way in which we produce mRNA is kind of largely the same for all of these. Now we have different 
ways we encode sequences based on where we're targeting them and the, the profile that we want them to have in the body. We have different formulations as well, but largely the process is the same. You know, it's let's mix and match this. Now, where you see a lot of difference is, you know, in how we research and how we test these things and then how we design clinical studies, right? So the product may be the same and we're actually using the same technologies across all of our clinical studies with that same platform mentality, but the manifestation of a, a massive 30,000 subject, you know, vaccine study is very different from a 200 person rare disease study. So when you were actually running these, uh, these studies, how did your platform allow you to really, um, taking that data and the learnings more effectively at speed than sort of a more traditional method. I mean, this must've been critical in those early days uh, of the pandemic. We had fortunately put in place a lot of systems around integrating with our external partners or CRO partners who are uh, helping us execute these studies such that we had a lot of data coming in house. Um, and that let us monitor these studies in near real time as real time as we can get that data. And one great example of this is what we had done around diversity within our study. You know, it was really important for us to ensure that our phase three COVID study was representative of the U.S. population at large. So we know that our vaccine is effective across all populations. And we use real-time data about enrollment around demographics, around understanding U.S. census data within regions to know where sites are performing relative to where they should. And we use that data internally. We also fed those to the sites as well, so we could work in partnership to make sure that these studies are enrolling and recruiting the way they are. And in certain cases, we slowed down recruiting at some sites to ensure that we get the right racial diversity, um, in, in particular, um, for the, the study at large. And we're very proud of the end state and how diverse this study was. And this is this kind of diversity inclusion of our clinical studies is something we see as a key tenet for us moving forward. And so what we learned and what we did from this COVID study, we're now applying to all of our programs. When you, when you look further ahead at some of the other treatments you put down the line, like potentially personalized cancer vaccines, this is going to require another level of infrastructure potentially where you're sort of, um, not just doing things at scale, but doing things at scale for individuals. Um, how, how, how is this going to change? I guess the way you evolve your platform. Yeah, the personalized cancer vaccine is an interesting one because it in some ways mirrors the scaling that you see in the technology world. Exactly. Yeah, there was a period in, in technology where you would scale vertically. So if, if you have a server doing work and you know, it's getting too much traffic, you get a bigger server, you get a bigger server. <clears throat> At some point you run out of bigger servers, right? And so what the tech world has evolved to is parallelizing. So taking that and sharding it across multiple different servers. And so in a sense, the PCV is kind of mirroring this same notion of ins instead of having one big manufacturing plant, we federate that, we break that horizontally. Um, and the personalized cancer vaccine has been in the clinic for a number of years now. And that technology that we did to rapidly design a GMP, so, you know, clinical grade batch and deliver to a patient within 30 to 60 days, right? In this cancer study is, is one of the key components that we've leveraged in our COVID vaccine. So we've already used that as kind of a key platform and that kind of rapid paralyzed technology is going to be a key part for us going forward in the future as well. It, it, it's funny. Um, there was a lot of optimism in the, in the early days of the pandemic that AI would really have its moment, um, uh, demonstrating its value, finding 
uh, potentially old medicines that were going to be effective that we hadn't expected or rapidly um, allowing us to develop new ones. Uh, but uh, aside from Moderna and a few other limited examples, there wasn't a lot of great evidence that AI was, uh, you know, really, really did a lot um, to help to help us. Why, why do you think this was? And what, what went right in Moderna that went wrong elsewhere? Well, the fundamental thing I would say is that, you know, biology is hard, right? I think in some cases we look at success of AI in the tech world and we kind of get molded into the sense that, oh, we can just transform anything this way. And the reality is in the tech world, things are all digital to begin with, right? You, your digital company, your digital software, everything is that way. And you're operating this to a massive scale. In, in biology, things are different, right? We're constrained by how many, you know, people we can dose with the vaccine. We're constrained by how many studies that we can run. And we're constrained ultimately by scientific reality, right? We may have a really great idea and it just doesn't pan out in biology because it's really hard. It's really complicated. So I think there's a lot of really amazing work going on in this field. I think it's just fundamentally a challenging problem. I think where you see the most value, uh, at least today, is around kind of the the things behind the scenes, the kind of more operational stuff. So bringing a drug to a market is a really complex process that involves countless people, many years of effort, but all along that journey are things that can be optimized with AI, things around logistics, things around, you know, we talk about sequence optimization. We talk around quality control metrics that we can offer, you know, optimize and automate, right? They're kind of like the silent unsung heroes behind the scenes. But if you aggregate all those things together, what you get is a much more rapid to market. I think everyone would love the idea of like, oh, just have AI tell me the answer and call it done. Um, but it's just not that simple and such a complex problem. Yeah. And, and you made the point actually when we we're talking before that a lot of people can develop a model or have something written down in a notebook. But it's another thing to have this, this thing actually running, making predictions and um, uh, being core to your manufacturing process in operations. Yeah, you're 100% right. One of the, the biggest values that we had is thinking about this holistically as a digital platform. Very early on, we said, look, we need to capture as much as we can of digital systems. We need to do that in a very structured, rich way. We need to integrate those systems together. And what that gives us is a good substrate of, and not just data, but also ability to integrate those models. What I've seen happen at a lot of companies is you have disparate data sources, you have unstructured data. And, you know, data scientists work really hard to collect the data from all these places, to add some structure to it, to normalize it, to clean it, to impute values, to combine it all together. So you have a nice clean data set to work on. They build a model that's predictive, which is wonderful, but then they have a challenge of like, how do I then deploy that? Right. They don't necessarily have the infrastructure to deploy an AI model. They also don't have the ability to kind of reproduce that massive cleaning process that they did that was really bespoke and challenging by thinking ahead of integrating everything from a digital perspective, we're essentially taking data live from the systems to train these models. And then we can push these out. We have a lot of automation in terms of how we deploy our AI models and they can integrate live with the data and then feed predictions back and automate processes. You, you don't have any sort of intermediate process where you're transcribing someone's handwritten notes or that are vile and putting into a system. Um, Absolutely. It, it's funny, you know, I went back and looked at some of the original um, investor presentations from Moderna from years ago, and, you know, right from the outset, it was clear that you were going to create a digital biotech company. Um, and I don't think people really appreciated then, um, you know, what that really meant. Uh, 
What, how, how has that vision evolved now? And, and where do you see that going in the next five to 10 years? It's interesting. The last 18 months has been, um, a tremendous amount of work for the company. You know, we started as an, as an early phase clinical company and we kind of transformed to a commercial one over this period. Um, I think there's a lot of growing pains that we've kind of had to go through and we'll kind of go through to now digitize at this larger scale. Um, and so that's really where the focus is now, you know, we did where we feel is a great job in the early research space, digitizing that. And now the journey is how do we do that, uh, for commercial, how do we do that for global manufacturing? Well, you, you know, to that point, you almost take a DevOps approach to biotech where you're paralyzing drug development processes that are typically staged sequentially, um, uh, you know, with, with also manufacturing as well. How important is this to, to this future operating model? So it's, it's really important for us to think about, you know, everything that we can automate, everything that we can digitize, everything we think about is kind of reproducible process. Um, how can we inject automation and AI into that? Um, and it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you look at an area like research, like we don't want to squash innovation, right? Research is not a machine, right? Research, right? We don't know the output of that. But if you look across the research process, there are all sorts of sub processes within that, that, Hey, we, we can make this easier for the scientists. We can make it so they're not copy pasting things all the time and manually yeah. dealing with things, taking handwritten notes. Like we can make that easier for them to help them get from idea to insight much faster. Right? So we think about that across the entire platform. Well, it, it, it's funny though, because if you, if, if you're approaching this from a more traditional, um, organization standpoint, like you're a big farmer trying to reinvent itself, if you take a reductionist view and just try to automate your existing processes, you don't end up in the same place as Moderna. Um, uh, because, uh, essentially you're just baking in your traditional ways of working and your existing competencies. That's a hundred percent, right? That we, we say it all the time internally that digitizing something isn't taking a, a manual process and just putting it in the system. It often requires reinventing it. It requires taking something that, you know, maybe someone was manually reviewing something before and you're, you're saying, we're not going to take that and put it in a digital system to do that review. What can we eliminate that review process entirely? Can we use AI to do that? Um, so it's really about thinking what is the optimal thing to do. And I think that's, that's hard for legacy companies to do because of how entrenched everything is. And there's very often not like a single process, single way of doing something. There's actually 20 different ones globally. And so you try have multiple systems doing the same thing because this one group does things in a slightly different way than this other group, or you end up with systems that have such a wealth of complexity that they're trying to manage these myriad of different workflows. Again, that the kind of prioritization we have platform over everything else is no, we're going to have one way of working, right. And we're going to optimize for that. And we're going to change our way of working to meet that. So on, on that, I guess the importance of changing your thinking and way of working and making decisions, uh, you know, when we were chatting before, you mentioned that you hate it when people bring you, um, analysis questions, uh, and you would rather that they, you know, took a more of a platform centric view. Could, could you, could you explain that a little bit? Yeah. I, I say it all the time that, you know, my, my data scientists are not analysts, right? They're not here to answer a question for you. So if you want to understand, you know, for example, with, with our clinical trial sites, like we have to figure out where we're going to run studies. We, we have this challenge with the COVID study as well. Where in the U S do we want to run these? 
we're not in the business of answering a question to say like, where should I run my COVID phase three study? We're in the business of building platforms to help our scientists and help our operations folks answer their own questions. So we would be focused on building an engine to say, here's how you can choose clinical science for any study. Here's how you can solve racial and diversity metrics for every program, not just one. So we don't solve one-off problems. We do get questions that come like that. And then we think about, okay, how do we solve this for every other time in the future, right? Rather than this one-off question folks have. How, how do algorithms support decision-making more broadly in your organization? Um, have they, have they shaped the culture? And, and I guess from the top down, has there been a, a push to take a more, uh, I guess, algorithmic approach to framing problems in general? It's an evolving uh, picture. They get areas in areas where we've digitized early and then we've had great um, success delivering algorithms and AI in it. You see the algorithms kind of taking this position where they're informing decision-making, right? I think it's rare that we have algorithms kind of take over entirely, but maybe they're highlighting some facet of the problem to help, but you know, an intelligent person learn something new and make a better decision. Um, but there's areas of the company where we don't have that level of sophistication yet. And so one of the things we're working on right now is building a, what we call an AI academy, which is really teaching throughout the entire organization, data literacy, AI literacy, helping them understand how it can transform their organization. So it's kind of a pull. So when they work for us and change their mindset in terms of how AI can help them. Uh, you know, as a result of this, did you find you're needing to attract different kinds of people into your team, into the organization in general? I mean, if you, if you think about it in the past, bioinformatics was a very specialized field. Um, but are you now recruiting for those same roles, people out of Amazon, Google, or Facebook? We are certainly competing with them uh, for the same kinds of talent. We have a lot of pure software engineering, a lot of pure data scientists. Um, and pharma tends to use the word data scientist in a really liberal way for anyone who kind of does data analysis, but, but we mean it in the very strict tech sense of, you know, machine learning, you know, psychic learn type data analysis, uh, data science work. Um, and so we're pulling from that same pool of candidates, um, as these tech companies are. Uh, one of the things I want to re return to was this, this theme of this massive parallelism that you're able to do because of the way you've, you've designed your platform, designed the organization. Um, uh, you know, you, you mentioned before how you were running things in parallel as you were doing drug development, you were also thinking about manufacturing, but has this actually extended to your ecosystem, your partners and collaborators as well? Uh, did you design it in such a way that they were also able to leverage your platform? In terms of them using our platforms or in terms of them kind of being subject to our, pl our platform parallelism? Well, well, maybe a bit of both, uh, in the sense that did you design almost like a, like an open innovation model, um, as part of, um, the way you were building out your MRNA, uh, sort of exploratory platform. Got it. So, so speaking of the two halves on the one side in terms of you know, sharing our platform, uh, with others, we have long held collaborations with uh, large firms, companies like AstraZeneca and Merck are continuing to be partners today to work with us. And, you know, their kind of research collaborations and clinical trial collaborations where they order material from us in some ways and, and we partner on research. So in that sense, we are sharing our platform and I think that kind of, uh, concept will continue to evolve as we grow. Um, and then the flip side is, you know, what does the platform mean for our other 
partners. And I can tell you, it can be really hard on some of them in terms of, <laughs> uh, the, the level of demand that we provide on, on such a short time frame, right. And how quickly we evolve things, right. Because again, we have, we're obsessed with learning. And so we're obsessed with, you know, starting things as, as quickly as possible and then iterating and evolving for that. And some of our partners really struggle to keep up with that kind of change that we do and with the rapid scale where all of a sudden we go from, you know, needing, you know, normal sane amount of supplies or resources. And now we need 10 X the next day. Right. So some of them are really struggling with that. Well, I guess it's only going to grow exponentially from here. I mean, one of the things that struck me when I saw, for example, DeepMind's AlphaFold 2 um, and, and sort of the latest models that they were releasing was that this was kind of a vision of what the future of pharmaceutical platforms are, are going to look like, where you're going to need a really a, a megatech scale infrastructure in order to make big discoveries. Um, what, what are the kinds of uh, challenges and, and, and I guess, problems that you'll be facing even at Moderna in the next five to 10 years, as you think about the future of your platform. So we're certainly not quite at the, this mega scale that was used for, for deep mind. Um, yeah. we, we have purposely chosen infrastructure within the cloud for that reason. So we have the level of at least technical flexibility there. Um, and we see, you know, use cases around, you know, how we can use AI to drive drum design as kind of one of the next big mountains we want to climb. I think one of the biggest challenges we and any other pharmaceutical company will face is um, having the data necessary to do that, right? In the oh. case of, of AlphaFold, they have, you know, a huge amount of data, databases of kind of alignments of sequences from all sorts of known species coupled with known crystal structures, right? And so they have the kind of input and output data to do that. For a lot of the problems we have, we don't necessarily have that data. And so we have to generate it, you know, so we have to run experiments explicitly to say, Hey, we're going to generate thousands of, of assay results just so we have a training set for machine learning. Right. So I think that is the big challenge that we and everybody else is going to face. It, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, where, where's the mega scale infrastructure going to live? Uh, I mean, if it, if it doesn't live in the pharma companies, will there almost be these kind of, um, it sense biotech mega scale platforms that then pharmaceutical companies leverage off or partner with as, as necessary. I think we'll see how the, the market evolves. I think me and Moderna aspire to have that kind of scale as we evolve. Yeah. Uh, but there are, you know, other pharmaceutical companies who don't necessarily have the appetite and, and palate for that kind of digital transformation. So I do expect that they're going to be that. And there are a ton of innovative companies out there right now, trying these kinds of things, applying these kinds of machine learning ideas to biology. So which ones of those kind of rise up? I mean, the only thing that you know would be incredibly useful, but is incredibly hard to do, is the ability to always simulate, um, you know, cells in the human body at scale. So you can, you can actually, in a sense, have purely digital clinical trials. But it goes beyond a cell, right? And, and there are there are people doing that right now, trying to simulate an individual cell, and you can imagine the level of complexity for just a single small cell. But yeah. that's kind of meaningless without the picture of the entire organism. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's an immensely difficult to, you know, complicated problem. But anyone who has studied biology and biochemistry knows how complicated this is. Yeah. So uh, I guess, you know, uh, when, when you actually uh, originally um, started Moderna, there was this idea that you would explore mRNA as essentially software, you know, with a number of different candidates. Um, 
What has the whole experience of launching the COVID-19 vaccine taught you or validated about your model and, and really taught you about what you need to change going forward? Well, I can first say that it was very surreal, right? I think, you know, a few people join a company and then seven years later, you know, get that product injected in your own arm. So that's kind of a surreal moment for me and for everyone else who's working on, on all of that. I think we see, we see this validation of the approach, right? We see that 42 day timeline to the clinic as, you know, really validating the value of digital, um, and automation. And so, um, we learned that value. Um, and what we intend to do is kind of apply that to everything we can going forward. So we plan to continue that investment and really double down on that. You know, we don't intend to scale to the same size as these giant pharmaceutical behemoths. We intend to leverage digital and AI to, to continue to be lean and flexible.